Amen. Let's look in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. I share a message tonight entitled, Discouraging Defeat or Glorious Victory. Discouraging Defeat or Glorious Victory. Uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 4. In verse 1 it says, and word, uh, The word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it come among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and, and they, that they might bring forth, I'm sorry, bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelt between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. When the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath been such a thing hitherto for. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, all you Philistines, that ye be not servants of the, unto the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army, and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent, and with earth upon his head. When he came low, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out, and when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. And Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I am fled to, uh, today out of the army. And he said, What is uh, they're done, my son. The messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. 
And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck break and he died. And he was an old man and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to have the word of God in front of us. Thank you for this uh, passage of scripture to help us to consider uh, this matter of uh, being defeated uh, being destroyed, or we can have victory and success. I pray that we might be able to glean some practical truths that will help us in our Christian life. And uh, certainly, I believe that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I believe that uh, we are on the winning side, and we need not surrender territory to the enemy and be defeated. And so, God, I pray you speak to us in a special way this evening. There may be somebody who's not saved. Touch them, Lord, draw them to the cross that they could believe and be gloriously forgiven and be born again that they might know they're going to heaven. I pray that you'd encourage us as believers tonight. Strengthen us in the world in which we live. Uh, give us courage and give us boldness and give us strength that only comes from on high. And God will give you praise and glory for the victories that you bring into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 10 is our text verse, and so the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. And uh, there was a great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. Discouraging defeat or glorious victory. I believe each one of us can experience either one or the other. Discouraging defeats in our life, or we can experience glorious victories in our life. Israel would do that over and over again. There would be days when, uh, times in the history of Israel where they'd have great victories when God was fighting on their side for them. And yet Israel would turn their back on their God and they would have to face the tragedy and, and discouragement of being defeated over and over again by their enemy. Israel was constantly confronted by their arch enemy, the Philistines. And uh, certainly as you read the book of Deuteronomy, Moses writes in reference to the oppression and aggression of the Philistines against Israel. As you read through 1 Samuel, you get over to chapter 17, and once again you read of David having to contend with the Philistines who would stand before Israel, mock Israel and the God of Israel, and David would stand up as a young lad and faced the mighty giant Goliath, uh, who was a Philistine. The Philistines were constantly oppressing Israel, and uh, they were a constant threat. The Christian has a constant threat in their life also. The devil, the flesh, and the world are constantly fighting against us. Uh, you cannot trust your fleshly body. Your body is sold under sin, when you get saved, you get born again. Your spirit is, soul, uh, spirit is born again. God's spirit witnesses that to our spirit that we are the children of God. Our soul is delivered, but our body has to go back to the ground and rot in the dust of the ground. And uh, when it's resurrected, we're receiving a glorified body. And so the body is an enemy to the Christian. Uh, the body is influenced by everything we see around us. Now, the body is influenced by past experiences that we've had in our life. The body, the flesh, is always trying to draw us away from our walk with God 
And it is a constant enemy, and we must battle the flesh all the time. You read Romans chapter 7, and the Apostle Paul uh, describes and outlines the struggles that he had in his flesh. And, uh, and so certainly we know that the flesh is an enemy. The devil is our enemy. The devil is the god of this world. Uh, the devil does not want to, to, you to be successful. He does not want you to be victorious. He fights against everything that is holy and despises everything is in reference to God. Uh, we have uh, developed this mindset that we have a very light attitude about the devil and about demons among believers. But the devil's still real. You can say, I don't, want to, I don't believe that he is. I don't believe he can do anything to me. You can think that all you want, but the reality is he's still real. In, if he can, listen, if he can go in to the Garden of Eden that was perfect, everything that man needed to sustain life and to enjoy life and entice Adam and Eve to disobey God uh, in that environment, what do you think he can do to us in the environment that's so wicked? The devil is real. He's our enemy. Just as the Philistines were real and were the enemy of Israel, the devil is our enemy. The world is our enemy. And uh, we are not a part of this world. We're coming out of this world. We're not to embrace the things of this world. We're not to believe the things of this world. We're not to go after the things of this world. Uh, whether, whatever it may be, uh, that uh, all that is in this world is not of God. It's, 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 it's fleshly, and it's, and it's corrupt, and it's sinful, and it is your enemy. The, any, listen, the world system in which we live in has no heart to do something that will help you be spiritual. Uh, Hollywood does not produce films or whatever it may be so that with the mindset this will help you be spiritual. That's the farthest thing from their mind. This whole thing with uh, vaping, this vaping situation is, is killing our kids. And uh, the companies are promoting it. They're after the kids. And if they can corrupt your child, they can steal the mind of your child, uh, they can rob the health of your child, the devil is pleased, he is excited, and the world has so designed everything to capture the attention of your children. And so you be aware of it tonight. There is a real battle, and there is a battle that is being waged in a way you can either face discouraging defeat in that battle, or you can enjoy glorious victory in that battle. You have to make that choice. You have to decide what, what battles are you going to fight. You have to decide how are you going to win them. You have to decide who is the enemy and how can I allow God to work in my life. So I want to look at these couple of concepts here to make a practical application in reference to Israel having a battle with the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Notice their problem was we're starting out with them being defeated. They were discouraging in their defeat because in verse 4 we see they had shallow leadership. In verse 4 it says, So the people sent to Shiloh and they, that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Shallow leadership. Any person in Israel who understood the value of the Ark of the Covenant 
would know and understand that the Ark of the Covenant was not to be removed out of the holy place to bring it into a battle out on the battlefield uh, where uh, uh, there, there it could possibly, and it does in this chapter, get stolen and taken away from the Israelite. The Ark of the Covenant was representation of the presence of God. And, it, and the fact that Eli, uh, his sons Hophni and Phinehas, and all the other leaders in Israel would allow the Ark of the Covenant to be taken out of its place where it belonged to bring out on the battlefield shows me there was a shallow comprehension and devotion to the things that were spiritual. And so there was shallow leadership. And notice, first of all, I believe there was shallow leadership because of the fact of a father's neglect. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, in verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli, Eli was the priest. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. What an amazing statement. I've always been shocked by that statement. They hear as a priest of Israel, and this priest of Israel... Uh, own sons do not know the Lord, but rather they're pursuing Baal, shallow leadership. May I just say this, dads, you need to provide spiritual leadership for your family, that your wives and your children and your family is surrendered to God and God alone. Uh, you do not leave, allow leeway for your sons and your daughters to be captured by Satan and by the demons of, the, of hell. You're not to be literally putting your children in danger by just living a very lighthearted, superficial commitment to the Lord. You know, it's always amazing to me if you start living for God and want to really be sold out for God right away, you're a fanatic. But yet we don't have any problem with everybody going after your sports teams. You have your sports teams. Everybody doesn't get all hyper about that. Oh, you're a fanatic. Going there. Oh, oh, you are a sports fanatic. No, you don't say that. But you try to live for God and be excited about God. All of a sudden, you're a fanatic. All of a sudden, you're some weirdo. Sometimes, all of a sudden, you're some legalist. All of a sudden, you, 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 you get the terms and you identify the terms. And they all pile up on you because of the fact you want to live for God, walk with God, and direct your children to understand who God is. Because I can tell you, you can do all you want for your children, provide them housing, provide them transportation, provide them college, and all kinds of things. But if they don't know the Lord, they're doomed to hell. And we are allowing the world to create in us a superficial leadership of father. <coughs> Eli had that problem. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, fathers, provoke not your children but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, a couple of things about that. It says, bring them up. In other words, it doesn't just happen. Your children don't automatically become spiritual just because you're a Christian, because you go to church. You're to bring your children up. In other words, it's not just a lighthearted, superficial relationship, but it's an intense training. You understand this, that you as parents, you only have 17 or 18 years to train your children. You understand that your children, when they leave your home, they're going to go to college somewhere, and within the first year of college, in freshman year of college, they will turn their back on everything that you believe. 
because of the fact that what they have been taught and what they've been instructed has been very shallow and superficial. You say, that's not true. You read the statistics. I was looking back through some of my old notes. In the pastoral note that I put in the bulletin, I was just reading through some of the old ones. I look up some statistics and things like that. And it was back in 2009, I wrote a pastor's note, and I thought it was interesting because I was dealing with the influence of liberalism on the Christian and on America. And in there, I had these statistics about uh, how many young people in college are for capitalism and how many of them are for socialism. And it was ridiculous because socialism wasn't at the top of the list. Socialism was way down on the bottom of the list. And there was statistics in reference to things like that. And in the, the uh, piece that I wrote, I was saying about how liberalism is destroying our children, our churches, and our families. And I, I read that and I thought, those statistics I have there are minute to the emphasis and commitment to socialism and all this anti-God type of philosophy of living our, in the world that we live. I tell you, in the last 10 years, it has gotten completely out of control. And nobody wants to say anything about it. And as soon as somebody does say something about it, everybody's upset about it. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'll say something about it if nobody else will. Shallow leadership develops the opportunity for discouraging defeat. Israel's defeated in chapter 4 because of the negligence of a father in chapter 2. And so there's the negligence of the father. I see another problem here in shallow leadership, a greedy priesthood. Notice in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 22. Says now Eli was very old and and hard to, uh, and uh, heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and uh, they were committing fornication. It says, and he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings with all the people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. Oh, I skipped over one of my ones. That's, I'm like, that's not the verse I want. That's the next verse. Amen. Back up a couple of verses. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 13. Yeah, here it is. Greedy. A priest custom, as, and the priest custom of, with the people was that when man, any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was seething with a flesh hook have three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or the kettle or cauldron or pot. And all the flesh hook brought out uh, up to the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh uh, unto all the Israelites that came thither. But here's the problem. The sons of Eli started requiring of the people to give them meat that wasn't theirs to receive. They were supposed to just put the flesh hook into the cauldron or the pot, and whatever stayed on it, that was their portion. That's how God provided for them. But the sons of Eli were not satisfied with that portion. 
They wanted more. They wanted to have more possession than what God had so designed for them, a greedy priesthood. You look at the charlatans that go on television and, and preach all these things about health, wealth, and prosperity. I mean, uh, different, these different preachers have three and four jets that they fly around in. They have multi-million dollar homes that they live in. I, I'm telling you, it, it, it is a shame of what they're doing in the name of Jesus Christ in robbing from people. And uh, shallow leadership is based on the fact not just of a father's neglect, but it's based on a greedy priesthood. Then I thought of this. I thought this, that, wait a minute, we're priests unto our God in our home. Men, you're the priest in your home. Is it more important for you to get more possessions and more money than it is to lead your children and your family in spiritual things? You're a greedy priest is what you are. And so shallow leadership. And that develops. Here, it's a progression. When the father is negligent, and he becomes greedy as the priest, it creates rebellion in the son. And that's why in verse 22, where we were reading, uh, the sons of Eli were out committing fornication and everything else. They were rebelling against the commandments of the Lord. And as they were rebelling against the commandments of the Lord, Eli hears about it and he confronts them, but they don't get right with God. They don't correct the situation. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20, Oh, uh, deals with this matter of a rebellious son. Proverbs 6 and 20 says, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. How our children are need to uh, uh, surrender themselves to the commandments of their fathers and their mothers. In Proverbs chapter 7 verse 1 it says, My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. In chapter 19 in uh, verse 27 of Proverbs uh, continues with this whole thought about rebellion and keeping the commandments of God. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 27 says, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. In other words, there's a decision time. And you know, the prodigal son, when he went out from the father's house, there was a decision time. When he had squandered everything, he lost everything, he came to himself, he realized very quickly that where the blessings were, were back in his father's house, and he ceased to hear the instructions that were wrong, and he went back to hear the instructions of his father. And Israel had to suffer because of the fact of a father's negligence brought about greedy priesthood that developed rebellious children which removed the vision of God. There was no vision from God. In 1 Samuel chapter three, 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3 and verse 1, says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And there is a progression that leads to discouraging defeat that starts in the realm of shallow leadership. We need depth in our Christianity. We, we, we need to dig into the word and study it. We need to apply the word of God into our lives. We need to be an example to the younger so they can see what it is to live the Christian life. I've often thought of the fact when my wife and I got saved, we had been married for uh, about a year and a half, two years, and uh, uh, 
Uh, we did not r grow up in Christian homes, you would, in a quote-unquote Christian home, but our, our parents weren't saved. My mother was saved, but she didn't uh, really uh, have the opportunity to live her Christian life the way she should. And uh, I, we didn't grow up. So when we got saved and all of a sudden now you're supposed to live the Christian life, what, how, what does that mean? What does it mean to live the Christian life? What does it mean to be a Christian husband and a Christian uh, wife? What does it mean to be a Christian parent? What, what, what does it mean? We say it all the time. We preachers preach on it all the time. We talk about it all the time as individuals. But what does it mean? How do you do it? How do you, how do you live like a Christian lives? It requires of us to not just superficially, in a shallow sense, just go to church and then leave. And that church makes no impact on us. It changes nothing in our life. We go out into the world or we go home to our homes and we live as if we are not Christians. We need more than that. People are looking at the church and they're saying, well, the church is on a decline because young people are leaving the church. You've got to answer the question, why? Why is our children, why are our children not in church? Why do they feel it's necessary to go out and embrace everything that the world has to do? I understand everybody's got to answer for themselves. Everybody has to give an account before God. I understand that. But there is something wrong with the next generation's commitment to God, and it just isn't on them. I believe it's on us. And I believe it's because we have provided nothing more than a shallow leadership. There is not the resolve. There's not the deep commitment. There is not the uh, dedicated study. There is not the revealing of Scripture and principle, biblical principles by which we live by. And what happens? It just ends up in defeat constantly. Somebody gets out and gets, I can't, I can't believe these young people, these kids are, are doing all this vaping. I just can't believe that. But it, that's what addiction does. Get on drugs. You know, it's, it's amazing to me. Everybody's all worried about it, vaping, but yet our government is insisting on the fact of legalizing marijuana. How, how stupid is that? You understand, you start doing that stuff, you get addicted to it, you're done. You take crack. You're done. You get strung out on heroin. You're done. It only, it only takes one time to get addicted. A fellow told me years ago, he said, oh, Mike, he said, one beer won't make any difference. Well, one beer did make a difference. And it led me into a life of alcoholism where I could not get victory. Hallelujah, the grace of God delivered me from it. Shallow leadership, shallow leadership has a negative effect on those that we're leading, whether it's in the church. I'm shocked by different things I hear about people. People say they go to churches and the preacher won't read from the word of God. Preacher won't mention Jesus Christ. Preachers won't preach on sin anymore. I was listening to a statistic about that the other uh, week or two ago, and it was talking about the problems in so many churches that the preachers are afraid of being offensive, and so they won't deal with sin issues that are deal are that is going on in our society. 
You know, homosexuality is wrong. Abortion is wrong. Fornication is wrong. All these things are wrong. It's all sin before God. But we don't want to get deep on that stuff. We don't want to talk about it because it's not politically correct and we're worried that we're going to lose a church member if we start preaching on that stuff or somebody's going to get mad at you because you say something about it. Shallow leadership leads to discouraging defeat. It's number two. Not only shallow leadership, but superficial commitment. In our text, in chapter 4 and verse 5, says, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And so superficial commitment. I want you to see, first of all, they were focused on the physical rather than the spiritual. Their ability to win the battle was not based on the physical Ark of the Covenant being there. Their ability to win the battle was, should have been based on the reality that God is a spirit and God is with them and God had promised to protect them and to give them victory, but their, their commitment was just simply to something physical they could look at. And oftentimes what happens, we make decisions in our life based on physical things rather than on spiritual things. And I'm telling you, we've got to get into the spiritual realm. We have got to get into the presence of God and stop worrying about the physical aspects of the church plant, the church building, this person and that person in this conference and that conference. It's not about conferences and it's not about buildings and it's not about organizations. It's about our God in heaven and we need to get a hold of him so that we can win the battle. Amen. The focus is on the physical rather than the spiritual. The focus was on man rather than on God. And so here is uh, Hophni and Phinehas comes down there. The people are looking to them to bring the ark down. And they're not looking to God. They're looking to the priest. They're looking to Eli. They're looking to Hophni. They're looking at Phinehas to bring the ark down. Spirituality, the spiritual victories that we have are going to come from us looking to our God rather than looking to man. Man, listen, man is not your source of deliverance. This preacher right here cannot deliver you. This preacher right here can't do anything in your life. All I can do is be the messenger boy that proclaims, thus saith the Lord, and then God's got to do something in your heart. We don't look to man. We always think, well, if I could get this person, and you know, churches are always interesting. I like studying church growth and this, that, and the other. A lot of times churches think, well, if I had an older man, the, uh, an older guy that has experience, our church would grow. And then somebody says, oh, no, we need a younger guy, has a lot more energy and everything else, and the church would grow. And we're always looking at man. We're always looking at, at those kind of concepts. Wait a minute, we don't need to look to man. We need to look to God. And we need to believe God that he can give us victory. The children of Israel could not get their eyes off of the physical Ark of the Covenant. And they couldn't get their eyes off of Eli, uh, uh, Phinehas, and uh, uh, Hophni. Or they were constantly looking at men rather than looking to their God. Superficial commitment. Notice in verse 5, the focus was on emotion rather than scripture. 
in uh, verse 5, when the Ark of the Covenant came, all the people shouted. A lot of people, listen, a lot of people assess and evaluate a worship service based on the loudness of the service. You know, whether it's drums banging and clanging or lights flashing and people shouting and people amening and we even us Baptists get into that sometimes and we think, well, the sign of spirituality and scriptural move of God in our midst is when there's a lot of shouting and amening and hallelujah and I'm for all of that. But that is not a sign of spirituality because there's a whole lot of people shout amen in churches that are walking like the devil. But I think if God speaks to your heart, you ought to say amen. I think you ought to say hallelujah. I think there ought to be expression. But I can tell you what, you can have all the emotional experience you want in church and not be scriptural. It is not about emotion. Is about what has God stated? What has God said? And because of the fact that here, I'll tell you what, you might have thought there was a revival going on. I mean, the Ark of the Covenant came in. They, they weren't confident to defeat the Philistines. They weren't looking to be able to overcome them. All they did was, oh, well, the physical Ark of the Covenant is here. And uh, Eli and Hophni and Phinehas have come down and they brought the Ark of the Covenant with them. The men are here and the Ark is here. We're going to be having, oh, amen, hallelujah. And they're shouting so much so the Philistines are saying, what is going on over there? But there was no spiritual impact. There was no scriptural impact. Because it was all based on emotion rather than on scripture. So there's shallow leadership, there's superficial commitment, and then there was a severe attack of the enemy. In verse uh, 10, the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. Severe attack of the enemy. I want you to see something. First of all, the enemy, they, they hesitate. The Philistines hesitate at Israel's enthusiasm. In verse 7, Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing hitherto far. They're hesitating because they think Israel's God has showed up. The sad thing is, the facade that Israel was putting on was declaring that God had showed up, but God wasn't there. They hesitated at the enthusiasm of Israel. In verse 8, they trembled at Israel's God. They say, woe unto us, as the Philistines saying this, who shall deliver us out of the hand of of these mighty gods, these are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. I'm going to tell you, the world knows what God has done in the past. And the world knows how God moves for his people. And they may hesitate at our enthusiasm. They may tremble at the reality of the knowledge of who our God is. But the sad thing is, in verse 9, there is an attack with fierce persistence. They're not going to give up. The, the challenge to the Philistines was be strong and quit yourselves like men, O you Philistines. That you be not the servants of the Hebrews. 
as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. The world is never going to accept what we believe. The world is never going to accept the way we're supposed to live. The world is never going to respond to the God whom we worship and we serve. And so it takes more than putting on a facade. Christianity takes more than smiling on Sunday when you come to church and then frowning the rest of the week because somebody may find out that you're a Christian. The enemy is severe. He attacks without mercy. And when he attacks, he attacks for the express purpose of completely destroying and conquering. So this discouraging, it's a discouraging chapter. It's a discouraging defeat that Israel goes through. Now here's the amazing thing. There's two aspects of this. Israel lost in this, these battles. First of all, they lost their life. In verse 10, Philistines fought and Israel was smitten. And it tells us there fell 30,000 footmen. They lost their life in the battle that the Philistines brought against them. If we're going to approach Christian life from the shallow leadership and superficial commitment, you're going to experience a severe attack of the enemy and you'll lose your life. It may be not a physical life, but you'll lose your testimony, your life that you, you've lived. I often, I often think that oh, uh, oh, uh, um, living my life, I have a testimony that I'm a pastor and all this, that, and the other. If I do something that is wicked and defiling and worldly and, and immoral, I lose my life. I lose who I, lose who I am. And Israel had lost their life. They lost 30,000 men. They not only lost their life, but they lost their leadership. In verse 11, it says, In the ark of the ark, God was taken, and two sons Eli, of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Their leaders was gone. And God, listen, God can remove leadership just as quick as putting leadership up to where he desires it to be. So they lost their life. They lost their leadership. In verse 18, it tells us about Eli, the great priest. It came to pass when he made mention of the ark that he fell off his seat backwards. I thought it was interesting that when he heard about his sons dying or being killed in the battle, uh, you don't see that type of a response. But when he heard about the ark of God, when he heard that the ark of God was gone, and he realized that they had not only lost life, they lost leadership, and they lost God's glory. You read on through the chapter, and you find that uh, the daughter-in-law of Eli gives birth to a son. In verse 21, she named the son Ichabod, saying, The glory of the Lord is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken. And because of the, her father-in-law and her husband, and she said, the glory is departed from Israel and the ark of God is taken. Listen, when you allow the world to capture who you are, God's glory is robbed. 
And so it's a discouraging defeat. However, as you continue to read through 1 Samuel, you'll see that Israel gains victory. And Israel's gain is found in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 3. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through 22 chapters. Just wrap this thing up. How did they gain victory? They gained victory because they responded to the word of the man of God. 1 Samuel chapter 7, in verse 3, it says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your heart, and put away the strange gods of Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Discouraging defeat or glorious victory. Israel, how are you going to turn this thing around? How are you going to get out of this state of discouragement and defeat over and over again? How are you going to be able to experience glorious victory? Well, wait a minute. If you'll put away the strange gods... If you'll get rid of the God of Baal and the God of Ashtaroth, if you put them out of your life and you turn to the Lord only, let your hearts be prepared to serve God in Him only, then He'll deliver you. There is an obligation placed upon Israel to listen what the prophet of God had warned them and uh, told them what needed to be done. I really believe with all my heart, and I've been saying this for months now, that we need a revival. And I mean we need a revival desperately. That means the worldliness and the foolishness that captures our hearts and our attentions has to be removed. We need to repent and turn to the Lord only. First Samuel chapter 7 and verse 4, the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. So he said, this is what you need to do. And they just responded. And then in verse 5, verse five it says, And Samuel said, Gather all of Israel to Mesbah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And the amazing thing is that God would take and start moving in the life of Israel. Uh, and down in verse 8, says, And the children of Israel said unto Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. Israel's gain was based on responding to the prophet of God and uh, repenting of their sin and turning to God only. And then in 1 Samuel 7 and verse 10, we see they receive power by the presence of God. In verse uh, 10, it says, And Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to the battle against Israel, here it is, I love this. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under, under Bethkar. And then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. There was a change from 1 Samuel chapter 4 
the first Samuel chapter 7. First Samuel chapter 4 starts out with a discouraging defeat, humiliating defeat of the Philistines against Israel. But by the time you get to 1 Samuel chapter 7, they listened to the man of God, they repented of their sin, and they received the power of God that God came down and fought for them against Philistines, and the Philistines were smitten. Now, chapter 4 and chapter 7 have two different personalities in reference to Israel. Chapter 4 is Israel in rebellion and despising God and trying to do the battle on their own. First Samuel chapter 7 is Israel surrendering in a spirit of repentance to God, believing God, and God fighting for them. Now, I don't know about you. I'd rather be in 1 Samuel 7 than be in 1 Samuel chapter 4. The sad thing is, is most of us are living in 1 Samuel chapter 4. The church as a whole is living in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And we need to get over the 1 Samuel chapter 7. Where we once again believe God, trust God, surrender ourselves to God, allow God to show forth his power and his grace and his might in us so that we might be able to experience glorious victory. I, I, listen, I'm not an alarmist. I'm not a pessimist. Uh, I know what's going on. I'm real about what's happening in the world, but I, I am believing God for victory. I am believing God can do greater things in my life now and in the future than he's ever done before. And I'm not looking at the world and saying, oh, man, this election coming up and this and whatever it is. I'm not looking at it at all. I'm looking unto the God in heaven and praying and asking him that he would thunder out of heaven and shake the foundation of this world and that we might be able to turn the hearts of men and boys and girls back to the Lord. But that's going to require some decisions on every believer, every one of us. We have adults in here. We have millennials in here. We have teens in here. We have old people in here. They put this blue light in up here and thought it would make me look better, but it doesn't, amen? It makes my gray hair shine. <laughs> but the reality is, every one of us, whatever stage in life we are, whatever difficulty we're facing, there's only two outcomes. Either it's going to be a discouraging defeat or it's going to be a glorious victory. And the difference of which one you're going to be in, either 1 Samuel 4 or 1 Samuel 7, is your decision. You know, Elijah would tell the children of Israel, how long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, then worship him. If not, if Baal be God, then worship him. How long halt you between? You can't have it both ways. You can't say I'm putting one foot in the world because I like the things that the world has to do. But wait a minute, I'm going to keep a foot over here in the church. And I can have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Because all you do is develop superficial leadership, shallow leadership, shallow superficial commitment that all it does is expose you to an aggressive enemy 
whose number one goal is to destroy your life. I don't know about you. I want to be on the victory side. I, I, I want to allow the Lord to work on my behalf and fight my battles. I want God to thunder his grace across the heart the heartstrings of my life that I might be able to experience a move of God. Let's pray. My Father, I thank you. I'm thankful for these passages. I'm thankful, Lord, you're just straight on honest with us about life, about choices, about defeats, about victory. I'm thankful for you just being honest with us about Israel's condition. It's heart-wrenching to see what took place in 1 Samuel chapter 4. It's discouraging. It's a defeat. It's devastating. But thank you, Lord, for recording for us chapter 7. Thank you, Lord, for showing us that there can be a glorious victory. And, Lord, it's very simple. I'm thankful for the way you outlined it for us. Help us, O oh God, to walk in faith, believing Help us to surrender completely each and every moment of every day. May we be on guard against the attacks of the enemy. May we never forget that uh, he is a worthy adversary. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us victory. I don't know what people are struggling with tonight. I don't even know why you impressed this message on my heart. But God, I know that if you so impressed it, there's things that need to be addressed in our life. There's decisions we have to make. There may be some things we just need to remove out of our life. And maybe just simple responses uh, to situations and people. It may be surrendering to studying the word of God and being committed to a deep study of what God has for us. I don't know what it is. So, Lord, speak to us. Give us victory, Lord, and we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.